0: Welcome to Missions and Marketplace Podcast. Join us as we talk to business and thought leaders who discuss their passions in and outside of business and
1: how it drives them to give and be citizens of goodwill. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'd like to welcome my guest here, Doug Sandler, with uh, Nice Guys First. He has a great book out, Nice Guys Finish First book. He also has a podcast, Nice Guys Finish First. I'm going to let him um, tell you a little bit about uh, himself. But if you go to DougSandler.com, you can read all about the podcast, the book. And the book is actually what sparked my interest to talk with Doug here. And we kind of laughed a little bit about it before this. But Doug, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, priest, and and you you said everything right there, so I don't need <laughs> you're, you're all done, right? We
0: <laughs> no, you did good. So uh, we'll uh, we'll see you on the golf course.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, Doug. So look, I I've been excited to have this podcast because, as I mentioned to you, I read the book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks. So I want you to kind of tell tell the audience audience a little bit about yourself.
0: Sure. Well, I I started in business about thirty years ago, and, and priest. By the way, your your reputation exceed, uh, precedes you. You definitely are a uh, one of the guys that's in the business that um, your show, as new as it is, is still a show that's, uh, that people want to be on. So uh, congratulations you. to that and Thank for you, all sir. of your successes. And just in the brief conversation we had beforehand for ra- raising four kids, that's that's a that's a whole, whole different set of awards that you should get for that When They outnumber you, you and your wife. Excellent. Way to go. So congratulations for that. Thank I have you. two and I don't know. I can't corral them. So uh, 30 years ago, started in business as a uh, as a mobile DJ and uh, the business, really, really flourished. It grew to uh, really great proportions. I joined up with an agency uh, about 16 or 17 years ago. And, um, our company does, I don't know, somewhere in the area of, of seven or 800 jobs functions every year. And I do about, uh, 75 to 80 functions myself, plus some corporate things. So, wow. um, that the DJ business is great. But what really happened, which was funny, Priest, was that about three or four years ago, or maybe three years ago now, I met with my financial planner. And he said, hey, Doug, I don't mean to alarm you, but if you turn around, the closest guy to you is about 20, 22 years younger than you are in your business. How is it that you've managed to stay on top of the uh, the DJ business? Mm. And I said, um, I didn't realize that. <laughs> you, know, you know, you don't yep. really take stock in what, what's going on Especially in your life. Especially when
1: you're just putting your head down and kind of doing what you love to do you just hit it a hundred percent.
0: I've had my head down for literally 30 years, probably more so significantly down the last 15 years in building this, this business to the size that it's, that it's been in. He said, I don't want to alarm you, but you're in a business that's dominated by 22 year olds. And in a couple of years, this was a few years ago in a couple of years, you're going to be 50, which I just turned in December. He said, just think about what is the next step for Doug Sandler. Mm. And I had no clue. I really didn't. Uh, you know, there's so many different opportunities that arises. I'm sure you're aware in the business that you're in so many different things coming at you at so many different angles. And, um, I thought that the way that I could to make the transition to my next life, my next, my next invention, my next career would be to maybe take the knowledge that I built over the last 30 years of building a DJ business and building relationships and building my customer base and build that into a speaking business, teaching companies how to do what I've done in my business uh, hired a speaking coach, um, eventually hired a book writing coach because they said, hey, you can't be a good speaker unless you have a, a, a bestseller out there. And I'm like, I don't even want to write a book, yet, let alone have a bestseller. I don't. How do you do that? Yeah. So um, met with some people that really helped me put the right pieces of the puzzle together. I'm the kind of guy that if you tell me, I'm dumb enough to believe you. <laughs> if you tell me something's <laughs> going to work, it's going to work. I followed a plan and it was basically spend uh, 20 weeks writing 10 pages a week. Uh, come out with your book, do your best job of marketing, because as a non-author, you, somebody might not realize this, but writing a book is actually 20 percent writing and 80 percent marketing. Mm-hmm. Doing a great job of marketing the book, taking it to to Amazon's number one status in the customer service field. Congrats and on that, by the way. Thanks. I, it's just amazing. And it's been such a whirlwind. I haven't even had time to stop, turn around like my DJ business and look because I got my head down. So that really does encapsulate about 30 years in about three minutes worth of time.
1: Yeah. No, no, that's really good. And 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 I knew about the DJ stuff, of course, and all of that stuff. You know, but it, what really interests me about what you do here, first of all, I, I need to say this. I think you talking about nice guys finish first and gals to be PC a little bit. Yep, Yeah, um, sure. But I, I but I you know, I think this is a TED talk. Right. I mean, hey, hey, that's my dream, man. You got me. Did somebody tell you somebody
0: call you ahead of time? No,
1: no, no one. No no one called me. It just is a TED talk. And I'll I'll tell you why. And we kind of touched on this a little bit in the business world. We've looked at it as such a dog eat dog. You go get yours. Don't worry about the next guy. This is kind of saying and I I think there's a, a thing out there called the prisoner dilemma. Um, that kind of dives into this. It's even an explainer video that talks about this where it's saying, look, if you start to show compassion and be friendly to other people at the end, you both will win. Or at the very least, you will win ultimately, right. which right. is which is definitely what you're saying. Nice guys finish first here. Um, so this is why this book really interests me. I mean, again, I was a reader before you and I spoke here, even connected. Um, and I really enjoyed it because it was just a different spin on business because where I was reading about Jack Welch and there's no knock on these guys, by the yeah, way, yeah, they, yeah. they've all served their purpose. But this book really kind of encapsulated, this is really how you win in business without losing yourself, if you will.
0: Well, and and this is just how I've led my life. And I really thought nothing different. I thought everybody was supposed to do this. I thought some people just had, you know, just didn't have the, the right charisma or the right style or the right I mean not that I have any of those things but I was always thinking that when I ran across somebody that was just in a bad mood and stinking thinking and just yep. you couldn't seem to put the right formula uh for growing a business together I I started to notice that the people that did the 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 people that were most successful were the people that, Uh, We're the best relationship builders. Mm. And so for me, um, I think that the word nice, you know, you have to come up with some level of definition for the word nice. And I think that that nice to me is somebody that does all of the things that would make positive relationships. They're returning phone calls, they're returning emails, they're telling the truth, they're on time for their meetings and their appointments. They connect with people uh, just because those are the five foundations of the entire system that has built my business over the last, you know, 30 years. I can't imagine why anybody would want to be anything other than
1: nice. Really good. That's good stuff. So, so let's, let's get into it a bit. So why do we think that nice guys finish first? What, what is it? And you kind of touched on it a little bit, but what are the real reasons that nice guys finish first?
0: Well, let me go back to a quote that I used in the book, which I think is that was so appropriate as I was writing the book. And I just happened to do some some uh, research and came up with a quote by Gary Shandling that says, nice guys finish first. And if you don't know why that's true, then you don't know where the finish line is. <laughs> June, that's a good. One. And we um, we all we all define things differently you know, for us, and we had a, before we started the conversation as we were recording this, you and I had a conversation just about life in general Mm -hmm. and the fact that success means different things to different people. And for me, I need to get back to more of the things that are, were important to me a few years ago, which are not spend so much time with my head down and focused on, um, on just business. If we bring that attitude, however, to the business world, we'll find that we're a lot more relatable. We start to enjoy our job a little bit more and um, people that are around us are happier too because we're not just focused. It's great to be able to talk about you know, uh, the client that was the pain in the ass, <laughs> or it's, yep. it's nice to be able to talk about the client that was the the best client ever. But there are so many more things to talk about than just work when you're in the office. And it all does play into a positive work environment, which studies have been done. Thousands of studies have been done about the effects of a, of a positive culture, um, on the profitability of a company, the happier a company is the more profitable a company is. True. And, um, why wouldn't everybody want to uh to be that way i i can't I can't imagine why,
1: yeah, it's interesting because you're you're exactly right I mean Zappos was one of those companies that I've seen used in the past as an example of the employees are relatively happy, so the company is successful because why in the world would a customer want to buy shoes for <laughs> ten fifteen twenty dollars more than they can run up the street and pay for it well you got happy employees that are servicing you and you can feel that energy in a sense.
0: Well, and you know why what happened, we had a very uh, good opportunity to actually tour the Zappos uh, factory or not factory, the uh, Zappos call center when we were in Las Vegas just a few years ago. And uh, what's interesting about it is this is not an act, a a positive culture, a happy culture, a culture that is, uh, that's based upon relationships and building um, happiness Um, is not a scam. It really is an environment that works well when you're able to use your free time at the office and uh, play ping pong or have your boss encourage you to take a few minutes to chill out or go into the employee cafeteria or over to the gym that's in the cafeteria or visit your kid that happens to be at the daycare center, which is attached to the building because they care enough about their employees. Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of things that, um, that exemplify an amazing environment that we all want to be a part of. And again, I never understand why we all don't want to have that as a, or ma- why management, let's say, does not want to, 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 does not embrace that as a part of their uh, philosophy.
1: I agree. And I think at the the core of us, Doug, we're all looking for that. Right. I mean, there are companies now that are becoming they're still believing in capitalism, but it's more conscious capitalism. Right. So there's the Whole Foods. There's the Tom Shoes where Tom's is giving you those good, good feelings like, hey, if you buy shoes, we'll give shoes to someone who needs it. That makes people happier that, you know, they're kind of controlling or being a part of giving. So I think at the core of us, we all want to be a part of that. Now, a lot of times we let Life happened to us and, you know, people come in with bad attitudes and gossiping and different things like that. So, you know, you talk about in the book, The Happy Factor how do you address the happy factor? I mean, do you let people walk over you? Are you, I I mean, do you let people just lend their crappy day to you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the, the, um, one of the things that we all have to realize as a part of our life is that we are really only in control of our attitude and our actions. We're not in control of anybody else's actions. That being said, If somebody is negative to me or if somebody wants to uh, try to get in a disagreement with me or an argument with me or disagree with the way that my philosophy is on life or in business, it's my choice. I don't have to align myself with them. I don't have to agree with them. I don't have to disagree with them. All I have to do is just understand that as a part of my career, this is the way I've chosen to be. So this happy factor I think that I've built my entire business and my entire career surrounding myself, not just with coworkers that are this way, but clients that are this way. In, the, in chapter 15 of the book, I talk about the, I think, 51 lessons that I learned in life and I, I don't have the book right in front of me, so I'm just going yeah. from memory here. I said something in there about not everyone is a good client. We don't have to hire and we're allowed to fire a client. It's very counter corporate culture thinking that says that we don't want everybody that has a dollar that's willing to come into our door to buy our product or service. I'll tell you, the majority of my clients in my DJ business priest are clients that I have picked. Uh, I've gotten to the point where, um, yeah, they've called me, but I know almost immediately based upon my experience, what's a good match for a client or not. And the client that starts with, hey, I'm interested in hiring you to, to do my event. How much are you? As soon as those words are uttered from that client's mouth, I know that this is probably not the right guy. Yeah. Not only am I about five times more expensive than any other DJ in my market, but I you get a sense very quickly of the clients that, you know, are going to be high maintenance clients. I don't mind a high maintenance client as long as they're willing to pay to be high maintenance. That's totally. OK for me. And the other side of it is too, in my speaking business, because that's a much newer business that's only about three years old. What's great about that business is I've taken all the experience that I've learned over the last 30 years of building my DJ business, brought it into this business and starting it out the way that I envision. I am very selective about the clients that are going to come in my door. If I don't feel like it's a 100% common fit for both the client and for me, then I don't bring that client in the door.
1: That's really good. And I think that speaks a lot to the guy that's miserable in his job, sitting in the cubicle. I mean, at some point, You know, you can come to the office and complain and gossip and be upset with other people and have a hard time. You know, sometimes you go through the drive through at a restaurant and the guy or the gal behind the counter, they just treat you like crap. And it's like, hey, I didn't come with you to fill out the application. (laughs) That's right. You know, so we all have in your book brings it up totally where you talk about we all have control to decide whether we want to be at the job, whether we want to, you know, so you're just deciding, Hey, look, I want to be happy. And this is what I want to charge. These are the clients that I want. And you know, you build your life from there rather than, letting life dictate what you're going to get.
0: I just spoke to uh, as a part of my podcast, I spoke to um, a guy his name is Croft Edwards and Croft is a successful business owner and leadership coach and he talks about this thing called leadership flow and one of the things that he mentioned and I wrote this down because I think that I'm going to try to incorporate this into my speech somehow is that there's two types of people that we kind of run into in the world that we work in. Unfortunately, this is the majority of the workforce, people that are resigned, so they have resignation or they have resentment about mm. their job. Mm. And what is it about why do people go to a job, they spend eight, nine, 10 hours a day that are there, they get in their car and they go home? What is that? I mean, if you're not ha- happy at your job, nobody wants you there. Right. Especially you're, you're not just filling time and space. You need to do your job and you should ex- want to excel at your job. And if you're not happy, why spend more time there than you uh, than you need to and just get out and find something you love doing?
1: Yeah. And that goes to show how much, you know, to some degree, people are slaves to the paycheck. I mean, you don't yeah. have to do a gut check at some point and say, well, you know, I can't be mad at anybody but myself because I want to be here. I mean, I've, I read Business Insider and you hear about people that have six figure jobs and they quit to make 30,000, but they're that much happier. So, you know, there's some give and takes and trade-offs, but the whole point of this book is to say you'll still win in the end, but you got to kind of bet on yourself a little bit in the beginning, even if it seems like in some cases you may be take or appears to be taken advantage of, or you may be losing, but in the end you will win.
0: And I agree with you, Priest. And I think that oftentimes that people see being nice as a sign of weakness. Yep. Uh, or as a sign of, well, he's being nice because I guess he's just not a good, or, you know, he's not a good leader. And I would tell you that it's just the opposite. I think the people that understand the, the importance of forgiveness in their life, that understand that it's not all top-down management, it can be uh, staff management as long as they're presenting good ideas. If you're showing gratitude as a part of um, managing people, those are the things that are really key in being a good manager, a good leader, and a nice person.
1: Yeah, that's good. You know, one of my favorite chapters in the book, which happened, you point out to say, you know, is one of your favorite systems, as you put it, you quote Confucius in here and it says, life is really simple, but we insist on making it complicated, (laughs) which kind of goes to what we're talking about in people taking the paycheck. But why is this framework basically your favorite system? What is it of this chapter and kind of get into this system, if you will?
0: Well, it's by default for me. And again, my wife hates when I say this, but it really is my reality. I'm a simple guy. You know, I I can't wrap my head around a lot of analytics that I see and reports and balance sheets and profit and loss. But I can tell you that if I make a customer happy, mm-hmm. they're going to come back. And so for me, uh, you know, a company like, um, I know they probably are beaten up so much with how great they are, but a company like Zappos, I don't think they measure how much time you're on the phone with your customer. They don't, you know, and I think that what's so critical about something like that. And if it's not them, other companies that are doing it, you know, how do you measure how long it's going to take to make your client happy on your customer, happy on the phone. And in a retail environment, um, I think it's critical that we stay on the phone or stay in front of the customer until that customer is, uh, is happy. Oftentimes uh, what I'll do as a part of my workshop is I will, I will actually walk a room full of people through their customer's experience. And if I said to you priest, um, you know, in the course of your, there's this thing called touch points. That's the, a touch point is a time when, um, when a uh, prospective customer or a customer comes in contact with your brand. Okay. So uh, how many touch points do you have in the process of a customer first doing research about your company till the time that they've purchased your product and you're doing the follow-up. Many people will say, I don't know, we have 20, 25 touch points along the way. It's amazing as we map out the customer journey, that oftentimes there'll be well over a hundred opportunities for a customer to actually touch your organization, touch your brand. It could be as something as simple as if you were a retail establishment, do you, and you have two open, you know, the, uh, the pool doors on your front door, if you have two doors that open. yep,
1: Like Um, French doors almost type.
0: Yeah. Almost like French doors is only one unlocked or you have both unlocked the employee that cares has both that's unlocked right. because why am i just able to open up the left door or just the right door do you ever want your customer to open up a door and it not open wow that's good so i mean that's that's just a simple example or a trash can overflowing in the bathroom i uh, work through an agency in uh, in washington dc and i and i spent A huge amount of time explaining to the people that run that agency, the importance that when a customer comes in, a prospective customer comes in or a current customer comes in and they need to use your restroom, why would you ever want a soap dispenser that's over, that's not working, a a trash can that's overflowing? Mm -hmm. And they might say, well, it has nothing to do with entertainment. And I say it has everything to do with the customer experience. And that is a touch point that you don't want to ignore. It's more minor than how well the band is going to play at your wedding. Yes, I would agree to that. But I would say that it's important because without that, the customer experience is not complete. Handing your customer a coffee cup that's styrofoam that's uh, you know out of a you know, Mr. Coffee filter that looks like it's been used for the last 20 years, replace the filter. It's a minor expense for potential maximum result.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's a really good point. I mean, so much of those little things are overlooked and sometimes people are paying attention to the bigger things. But to your point, you'll be surprised what a customer when they come into an establishment, what they're actually paying attention to. I mean, the food can be great at the restaurant, but if the bathroom is nasty and disgusting, you'll definitely remember that experience, probably even more so than the food.
0: Yeah, there's a little sushi place that's by my house that we frequent. And I can only imagine the level of business more that they would do if they actually took some of the money, because there's usually a 30 or 40 minute wait to get into the sushi joint, took the money that they're making and put it back into the establishment. I don't know what they're doing with it. I mean, it's none of my business what they're doing with it. And I guess I could say I'm just not going to visit there anymore. Mm -hmm. But uh, they could just, even within the shell of the restaurant that they have, they could just clean the floor just every once in a while. You want to make me feel comfortable? (laughs) Clean your floor a little bit more. That's
1: right. You know, I want to take a step back just for one second, because, you know, to me, happiness goes beyond just an emotion. Right. Because if we're emotional about it, then we will go in this energy and motion. And when we're unhappy, we'll give people unhappy. But happiness It's as a decision, right? So when my little one, my little girls, when they were smaller, I used to tell them, make it a great day. Mm -hmm. And as they got older, they would always say, well, why do you say make it a great day? And I can't remember where I got it from, but it's like, because if you don't make it one someone else will make whatever the day they want for you. That's true. That's right. True. So yep. if you want to be happy, you got to make it a great day. And sometimes people are going to throw stuff at you, physical or otherwise. That,
0: that, <laughs> On stage, I hope they don't throw anything physical at me. But it, it could happen, I guess. Right. Right.
1: It could happen. But <laughs> you still have to decide to do your DJ gig yep. and do it well and fight beyond whatever feelings you have and whatever that may be. So, again, this nice guy's finish first is so key for me because it totally just resonated with me from, with the understanding of, hey, we one of my favorite lines is in Shawshank Redemption where he says, get busy living or get busy dying. You got yeah. two options, right? Yeah. So either you can be unhappy or you can be happy. It's going to both take energy. Which one do you want to pour it on?
0: And I think what's interesting about what you're saying, Priest, is that most people that are negative or have an attitude that's less than positive, I don't even know if they realize it. Mm -hmm. And I'll take it even one step further. I don't know if they realize the toll that it's taking on a couple of things. One, their health. Mm -hmm. But second, the relationships that they have. Um, There is, uh, and I won't use names because I'm sure that they probably listen. There's somebody that I know in the work world that's out there. And and this person is just extremely negative Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And when a conversation is brought up about that office and that person, There is never a positive word that you can't get beyond the negative attitude that this person has. And I don't think they quite realize or anyone that is in that position realizes the toll that it takes on their health. Number one, because I think it really does affect your attitude, affects what's going on inside. I believe that, too. And uh, and their relationships and you know, they struggle. Why aren't they doing more things socially with people at the office? And the answer is because nobody wants to be around that kind of thinking. And that's got to hurt.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, kind of just getting into this a little bit more, Doug, how do do we, you know, we're in a social world, right? So Mm -hmm. Facebook, Twitter, I mean, a lot of, you know, relationships, mine and yours is being developed this way, right? Through online. How do we develop sincere, genuine relationships in such a, such a connected world.
0: And we are in a connected world. And I think that some people will use uh, social media as a tool, but also as a crutch to hide behind, to auto-bot and or auto-post and do all this stuff. And and I do have several automated services that help me keep track of the things that I think that are important, but I don't have one when it comes to personal connections. So for me, somebody reaches out to me on Twitter, you're never going to get an auto-response back that says, thanks for reaching out to me on Twitter. I'll be back in touch with you. If you're saying something to me, I'm going to respond. I think what's important in today's world, especially as easy it is to make connections, we have to realize the human element is so key, so critical. What I was telling you earlier about 80% of, I mean, uh, writing a book is 80% uh, marketing, 20% actually writing skills. The 80% of marketing, it's not just puke and product out there in the world. It's about the relationship that you have with people when they connect with you. So you and I have this relationship, you develop it on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter. You send me a tweet saying, Hey, I'd love to get you on the show or something like that. Yeah. I could have easily just started sending you, put you in the automated process and just, you know, puke product and tell you how great I am and all that (laughs) other stuff. Sometimes it's easier. I look at it and say, it's easier to get an opener through social media, but the relationship is still up to us as human beings. Agreed. Social media is one small aspect of how Relationships really have suffered over the last, you know, five or ten years. Automated phone systems, the you know, when you call your credit card company and you can't speak to a person, overseas call centers have clobbered our customer service numbers because, unfortunately, something is getting lost in the translation. Are we just a number to the credit card company, or are we somebody that actually is going to get? help. And when I've called my credit card company, I had one experience where I called for a dispute of a duplicate charge and finally after several minutes of frustrating conversation with trying for him trying to make me understand the credit card agreement and I actually printed out a copy of my credit card agreement it's 117 pages and he referred to a specific page of the credit card agreement <laughs> Who with reads specific, all that? <laughs> I and that's exactly what I said to him. I said I, I don't remember his name but let's just call him John. I said John, I I don't even know, Do you, have you ever read a credit card agreement before? <laughs> so the other thing I said to him, which was really interesting, because I don't think that he has ever had this line, and I use this all the time with people when I'm getting a script, I say, hey, hold on a second. I said, can you do me a favor? I said, for the next 60 seconds, I'm more than happy to listen or however long it takes for you to tell me what you do. But for the next 60 seconds, can you just put down your script and talk to me like a human being? Right. Right. And uh, when you diffuse the situation, sometimes they don't know how to respond and they'll just hang up. Or sometimes they'll say, hey, I'm really sorry. You know, I, you know, I'm just doing my job and I get people are doing their job, but you got to be a human being. Anyway, that's, that's how I try to be. I want to be a human being. I want you to be a human being. And I want us to have a relationship. Now, again, we open up thousands of relationships online. It's the ones that communicate back to me and the ones that actually are active that I want to say more to
1: and talk more to and have a relationship. That's a good point. I mean, because that's in essence what it is. Right. So, you know, I, I say this and I know some people are going to listen to it now and be like, OK, so he doesn't want to approve me. But I have so many requests to be friends on Facebook, for example. Right, right. You know, that's where I want to have more sincere, genuine. And, I, you know, I went to Target one time and I was <laughs> a friend with a guy on Facebook and this guy was shifty, couldn't look at me in the eyes. And so I went home and unfriended him, but it taught me a valuable lesson about Facebook, right? And I decided I'm going to just be friends with real Life friends, Real people. Real people and family members. And that's about it. Versus, yeah. so Twitter is more where you can kind of build up to a thousand numbers. But even there, I'm trying to create genuine relationships like with you, right?
0: Well, it's on Twitter. Unfortunately, um, oftentimes people will confuse large numbers with large networks with big business. And I'll tell you, I've run across plenty of people that have been on my podcast and I've talked to that have 100, 200, 300, a half a million followers. But when it comes down to it, and if I'm following their feed, a couple of things are happening. One, they're doing a lot of auto um, uh, posts. And the second thing is there's not a lot of interaction. The people that are following them are, you know, there's the same 30 or 40 or 100 people that are responding. And I can tell I have, I don't know, 17,000, 18,000 followers on Twitter. The number doesn't really mean anything because I really legitimately have a couple hundred that will respond and we have some level of relationship. And those are the people that I put all my time into, not the people that, you know, you think that you might develop a relationship with somebody. I don't know. I have to go through the 17,000 to figure out which one of these people are going to become that, you know, couple hundred
1: this month. That's really good. That's a key point there. What, what you know, it, just in business in general, we kind of talked about earlier how there's always this connection, you know, where people are like, go out and get it for yourself and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and ignore everybody else and just hop on their back and go for the ride. I don't know if anybody says that. I just picked that one up. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but so. Sounds good to me. <laughs> it did. It sounded really rough and tough. So I thought I'd throw that in. So just tell me, why do people, when you talk about being a nice guy and going out and trying to do nice things and, you know, just pick up your trash and change the lotion dispenser, soap dispenser, yeah. why yeah. do you think people? look at that you know, from a cynical perspective and say that doesn't work. What's happened to society that we kind of write people off like because that?
0: I, because I think that people, um, as I said a little bit earlier, they align being nice with the sign of weakness or with being a yes guy. Mm. You don't, on the other side of it, you don't really want to enter into a high level negotiation with me thinking that I'm just going to roll over. That's, That's right. just not going to happen. So oftentimes the nice guy Let's just call him the nice guy. Mr. Nice guy that's out there in your world is the underdog. I am more than happy to be considered the underdog. Uh, my dad used to um, uh, my dad has passed many years ago, but he used to have this business called Sandler Systems, which was a, uh, a sales program. And as a part of the sales program, he talked about this uh, detective named um, Columbo. I don't know if you remember Colum- oh, Columbo. From I, sure do. I sure do. But Columbo was the guy that was the bumbling fool. He was the inspector Clouseau of the detective world in the, from TV. Or he appeared to be. He appeared to be. Yeah, That guy, you tend to let your guard down with that guy. Yep. And like I said before, this is not an act. This is how I am. I am just, you know, I, when you say something like this, it sounds so disingenuous, but I'm a genuine guy. What you see with me is what you get. I don't, I, I have an agenda as we all have an agenda in this world. I want to be successful and success is defined for me the way I define it, not the way you define it. That's right. And, um, and for me, there are certain levels that I want to attain in this life. And I'm on my agenda, my agenda, which has been my life's philosophy because of being four years old and walking out of the house and my mom saying, Beat Dougie, be nice. You know, maybe that's where it started. But then I started to see that there was actually a correlation between not being an idiot and actually getting business Mm -hmm. because early on in my career, I made some ego mistakes. When you're an entertainer, uh, you get paid a lot of money to work a crowd to just get applause at the end and you get a check for a lot of money for somebody to say you did great. Now, some people would just do it for the you did great. But the fact that they attached a check to it as well validated my business sense. And I thought, well, now it's okay. I can have this ego because there's no correlation between ego and my entertainment side. I'm still a great entertainer and I'm going to make great money. So I had this ego. And that was like the worst thing that you could possibly have. A career changing performance in 1992, where I realized that it wasn't about me it's really about my customer. And if you don't inspi- invest, pe- invest time, energy, and resources in people, if you don't inspire them to take action, if you don't execute a plan excellently, which is part of my whole system, invest, inspire, and execute, it doesn't work. Right. And so for me, you can't be a jerk and be successful. Now, that's my philosophy. You know, if I walk into a, a Fortune 500 company and there's a guy that's running that company and they're making billions of dollars, and the guy in, in the uh, CEO position is a jerk. They might correlate the fact that he's a jerk with success, and that's just how you are when you're successful. I don't think it has to be that way. I, I think you'd be a nice guy and be successful.
1: Totally, I, I agree. I remember working at a company a few years back, several years ago, in fact. And um, you know, I'm sitting down with my manager, and my manager is talking to me, and. And he knew he was a jerk. He knew, it. he knew he was a driver of business, but he got stuff done. People responded to that. But we were sitting in the office one time, and I think we were doing my review. And he said to me, you know, people do what I ask them to do, priests, because they're afraid of me. But they do it for you because they like you. That's and, good. And I thought that was really sincere yeah. from a sincere place. But he was saying that, hey, like the nice piece, I don't know how to do that. So I just know how to make people afraid. But what you're doing and working with people and like you said, it doesn't mean rolling over because I'm not going to take just anything from a client. I'm not going to say yes to everything. That's not what this means here. But what this does mean is you don't have to be a hard ass at every turn and you don't have to make every hill the hill you want to die on. Right. There, right. There, there are just some spots that you can say, this is a hill that I'm willing to give up because ultimately, you know, either we're both going to win the battle or at least I am. Right. Um, and that's, I think that's a good perspective. You know, so one, one last question that I want to ask here, Doug, before we wrap up is, you know, how do you inspire clients and not necessarily sell to them? So there are people that are listening to the podcast. They're saying, Hey, that's all great. Being nice. And mm-hmm. I have a widget. I have guns and butter that I want gotta to move,
0: got to move guns and butter. I, I got
1: to move product. So, you know, how do, how do I inspire them to buy versus just trying to flat out sell to them?
0: I mean, ultimately I think what it comes down to is that when you're building a relationship with somebody, you are trying to, uh, build trust and, to try to sell somebody something prior to building trust and building a relationship with them doesn't make sense. I've had many customers that have said to me or many prospective customers say to me, Hey, can you send me a contract? I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. And if I wasn't ready for that contract yet, if I felt like they were moving through this process a little bit too fast, I, you know, most salespeople would say, okay, I'll send you the contract. Great deposit, blah, blah, blah. I'm not looking for a contract. Uh, and I'm not looking for money. What I'm looking for is to build a relationship so that when it comes down to it, if uh, if that check doesn't arrive, it doesn't matter. I know it's coming. It's going to be here. The client uh, that I'm building the relationship with is the one that's going to stick with me for life because I've built trust with them. It really is all about the relationship. Certainly, you have to have a good product or a good service to back that up. And I would say, you know, go one step further and say it's almost irrelevant what your pricing is if you've built a good relationship with a customer, because they're going to, if they trust you, they trust your opinion. They are not focused on what your cost of your product is. They're focused more on the quality of the relationship that you guys are building. Because ultimately for them, if you provide a a product or service that works, you're going to make them look really good in their company. And and that's invaluable. I mean, there's no price that you could pay to have somebody look good within an organization. I, I mean, I would say that, Inspiring your clients is so much better than selling your clients because inspiring them will lead you to be a consultant and who doesn't want to be a paid consultant for somebody? If somebody's calling you and they're actually asking your opinion about something. That makes you feel good as a um as a salesperson.
1: That's really good stuff. Hey Doug, so so I know you have podcasts, you you're you're willing to speak at different events. How can people get in touch with you? How can they reach out to you and, and kind of talk with you about this different stuff and even get involved in some of the other things you're doing?
0: That's great. Well, somebody can check out my website to see if there's anything of interest in there. Uh, we do have a podcast called The Nice Guys on Business Podcast. I do have a book called Nice Guys Finish First. I do write a weekly blog and I write for Huffington Post and, and I have a whole bunch of real fun stuff. All of that stuff can be accessed as well as my contact information directly on my website, which is dougsandler.com. If you want to hit me up on, uh, on Twitter, just to have a a brief, short relationship or 140 character uh, conversation, it's uh, at DJ Doug. That's the best way to reach me. Just DJ D O U G.
1: Thanks, Doug. You've been awesome. I really appreciate it. Hey, uh, my
0: pleasure, Priest. And uh, good luck with those four kids. Uh, yeah, your, your oldest is uh, doing great in college, it sounds like, and uh, it's just a matter of time before that youngest is getting married. So you better start saving. I'm already saving.
1: <laughs> Thanks a lot, Doug. Take care. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Missions and Marketplace. If you have a brand or business that you want to take online or you're already online and looking for more exposure, visit us at affiliatemission.com, the premier affiliate marketing and management agency. Also feel free to get social with us and check our Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages and share with us your story on how you're leaving a mark in the world.